All right. So here's our third episode of Conversations with Bob and Bonnie. Conversations with Bob and Bonnie about the Bible. How many Bs can we say? Um, yeah. So just a little bit of a a backstage or a or a sneak peek. If these walls could talk, kind of a thing. I don't know what that brings up in your mind, but I mean it in the actual <laughs> technical uh, definition of the term. Of what you know, what do Bob and Bonnie talk about when we get together and. I know that um, so much of what comes of our conversations is so meaningful to me. I I leave 99.99% of the time, I walk away from conversations with Bob just so um, enlightened and inspired, um, feeling more connected and more bonded to God. And that's what I hope you get from these these conversations um, as you listen and as you love um, both Bob and I. You have to be a lover of the Bob and Bonnie. I mean, I think you have to be a lover of us. Uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe maybe not. But I think you have to kind of know us a little bit and and know Bob for sure um, and me as pastor and Bob as teacher. Um, so these two gifts coming together um over years now. I mean, I guess over like seven or eight years. And again, just welcome to the welcome to the podcast today. And we just uh, pray that that the Holy Spirit would shine upon your heart and let you hear exactly what you came to hear today. I I started my day. Um, one of our spiritual advisors for the church, um, his name is Bishop Jim Swilly. If you don't follow him on social media, you should see if he has any space on his page. He's usually maxed out, and he he'll delete he'll delete some people every now and again, and then add new folks in. So you might get on his waiting list. But Bishop Jim Swilly um, posted something today that I thought was really cool, and it kind of started my day out in the right way. It really invited me to a place of um, a place of prayer, but not just prayer as we think of asking God for something or asking God to do something for us, but in a way of taking our own position with Christ and from that position with Christ speaking um, from that place to my life and and over my life and over um over my day and he used this analogy that i think will help will help us all because it certainly helped me and put me in the right place um he was saying that similar to how um in the genesis account of creation when adam was naming the uh naming the animals and uh, God, it says that, you know, God brought all the animals to Adam and Adam got to name the animals. And then whatever Adam named the animals, God named it too. God, whatever Adam called them, God called them the same thing that Adam did. And so he invited us in the same fashion, allowing you to take some placement, some authority in your own day. And however you name your day, then God will back you in naming your day that very same way. And so it really invited me. I put my my reading material down and I I got um, in a place of prayer, in a, in a place of, um, of speaking, and I started saying what I what I desired over my day. And and it so in some ways I was really kind of stretching, kind of leaping out and speaking by faith that this day is going to be a day of flow. This day is going to be a day of peace. This is going to be a day of health. And I came the more that I speak those words of faith and power over my day, um, I came up. I think I came up with this is going to be a day of health, happiness holy wholeness. I think that's what I came up with. It's going to be healthy, happy, holy, whole. And you can, you can, you can spell those holy holes however you'd like to. <laughs> you can spell them however you want. You could, it's, it's basically healthy, happy, holy, whole. 
Yeah. So there's a little double entendre there. And that's kind of neat um, to play around with. Um, so I have Bob with me and it's just so good to see you. And I'm just glad you're here. Are you able to see okay? Yep. Stop <laughs> <laughs> me cleaning my glasses. <laughs> I was like, is he seeing double or? <laughs> I was seeing a smudge. <laughs> We're going to continue our conversation on righteousness um, because, like Paul said, that it's basically the milk of our faith. It's the milk of our faith is knowing how how we stand, how we are positioned in our place in Christ. And so um, it's righteousness is not a word we use very often in our everyday language. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I've been around a person lately who's when I when I tell them something something cool that, that they're bringing back the word righteous and going righteous that is totally righteous and so we d use it like that but that was years ago i don't hear too many people using it that way and then if you do hear righteous you hear it like in kind of a high church context where um you know that we need to maybe um work some kind of discipline in order to be righteous to be righteous and holy before god and that is in a lot of mainstream denominations. There's a feeling of needing to acquire something or um, or do certain practices to be pleasing in God's sight. And so many of us struggle with not feeling very pleasing in God's sight. <laughs> we don't feel very pleasing because, well, why? Because we know ourselves. We know ourselves minute by minute, every hour of the day. We know what we do. And we know what we don't do. We know what we think. And we know how we take action on what we think or don't. And it's hard when things are not all good or all bad. It's difficult to hold two opposing truths in the same vessel. It's kind of next level maturity to be able to hold yourself and say, the opinion of God of me is that I am good, even though. There are some things that happen during a given day that are are in our own estimation less than good. So we're going to jump into just how good um, the position of righteousness that we have been given by God. Not something we even asked for, right, Bob? I mean, it's not something we asked for. I mean, I guess we wanted to be in relationship with or be pleasing to God with Everything, if you think about antiquity, I mean, with like sacrifices and with worship and with hurting ourselves and, you know, chanting and marching and pilgrimages and all the things that human beings do to try. Is the word flagellation? I always feel like I get that wrong. I say that we're passing. It feels like passing gas. Flagellation <laughs> is to pass gas. Flagellation is self-punishment, <laughs> ah. specifically or usually to whip yourself with something like you'd see in movies where they'll take you in a whip with maybe, you know, barbs or something and whacking their bodies over their back. Or... Yeah, hmm. I just read an article in the paper about a very extremist sect of... Uh, like the Muslim faith in Iran, I think. And they actually showed a picture of them. And again, this is a, an extremist group, uh, very extreme group. So it does not represent all of Muslims. And I know that, but sadly, these guys were doing that and it showed their bodies all bruised and red. And it was really a sad sight to see um, in commemoration of something that happened, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago to the grandson of Muhammad and they like, it was really, really bad, but um, I was grateful in that moment that that wasn't my religion. <laughs> I, wasn't, I was raised um, extreme and in fundamentalism. And I, I happen to think that any form of fundamentalism can be very detrimental to one psyche. And uh, so my form of fundamentalism didn't require that. It just required a lot of guilt and shame. <laughs> and just, 
just it didn't require any bodily punishment. I just had to abstain, um, abstain from all kinds of pleasure and desires, and then get really guilty if I happen to be tempted and indulge. <laughs> Right. And speaking of, that's um, one of the things it says multiple times why God wanted to send Jesus was because what grieves God, one of the things that grieves the Holy Spirit, we think it's when we are sinning, but it's actually when we're in, we're stuck in sin, meaning um, when we are stuck in our past and not seeing how cleansed we are and how whole we've been made in our relationship with the father. That's what grieves it is us considering ourselves as unworthy to come to him. That's the only thing that grieves. just like a parent when their children are ashamed and feel guilty and feel bad because they know they've done something wrong and they just assume the parent, and, not, and rightly so, in, in the sense that some parents do. Some parents do hold, uh, hold things and uh, grudges against their children, unfortunately. But God, Jesus kept saying, but um, God is not like you. you. You're a parent, and you don't withhold good from your children when it comes to their needs, like if they're cold or if they're hungry or if they're thirsty, even if they've misbehaved. That doesn't, you don't allow that to your adult mind to go, well, I'm going to withhold my love. And he says, first of all, at least give God that much grace. At least give him that he's as good a parent as you. But by comparison, you're an evil parent compared to God because he goes much further than that. Nothing changes his mind that his children do because Again, as our good um, teacher, uh, and he told us we can call him friend, Malcolm Smith says, God owns his love. In other words, nothing that we do can purchase a different attitude. If we do something good, God suddenly feels better towards us. Or if we do something bad, we purchased a angry God. No, God is always the same. He's always agape love. And again, I, I want to reiterate this because Kelly being here all the time and hearing the things I say, I said and reminded her yesterday what agape love means that I've recently discovered that's far beyond shepherd love. And, and she was like, it was like she'd never heard it before. And after a few minutes, she realized, yeah, I've heard that before. I know, you know, <laughs> I've talked, I've talked to her about it, but it was like, it's so jarring um, and that is that when John says that God is agape, agape is God. God is equal to agape. Um, well, and God loves us. He said, herein is agape. Not that we love God first, but that God loves us first, which again shows all religions. If you, if again, if I ever did a class on um, looking at comparative religion, one one of the main things that you can see in most religions that deal with gods is that you have to do something in order to change the god's mind about you. You have to do good works, or you have to in order to get into uh, heaven, uh, or um, you have to. Um, self-flagellately in order to for the God to know that you really truly are feel sorry and you've now done penance or because you that God requires you to feel bad in order to gain his favor that's not our God um, there's some religions you have to give sacrifices in some religious cults of today called church you, they require you to give a tithe because the tithe is how you show God and you buy God's favor. Um, and that was all part of the law. And even though some came before the law, some would argue, but it wasn't, God never asked for it. That was something 
that Abraham, he gave tithes, but Abraham did that. It, nowhere does it say that God required it. Um, so God is always serving whatever men dish up. If we want to say it requires a tithe, look, even Abraham tithed, then we go, well, then God goes, okay, well, I'll take that temporarily. I'll let you believe that. But Paul even said about that. He said, when we give, we don't give. That tithe was under the old covenant. He says, when we give in the church today, the message that's transformational, when you really let it soak in, he said the tithe today is actually our response to the recognition that God is raised. It's about the resurrection of Jesus, that when Jesus was raised, we were raised into newness of life. So we're brand new creatures, not bound by a tithe that we have to do in order to get God to do something. But again, purely ours, everything in, in, the, in the new covenant is all about us simply responding to the grace of God. Us herein is love of God, but that he begins the process. He sends his agape. And back to that, what the definition that I found in my research in ancient language, agape was used prior to scripture. Many people say it wasn't in a lot of Greek writing. Well, that turns out not to be true. And when it is used, it's always almost exclusively used about people when they were going to worship their gods. So it's the attitude that a person has towards their God, that they have this God in mind. This God is their, um, as they view it, the thing that they are spending their life, their energy, their resources, their finances, their, their um, goodwill, their good wishes, um, bringing resources to the temple, as expression of I agape this God. Mm. Well, then now Paul and the gospel writers turn that around and go, with now with you, your understanding of how we use agape in our culture, that's what God does for you. Mm. He treats you as if you are a divine being. And so much so that he kneels, the creator of the universe kneels when you have poop on your feet to wash it off so you don't even smell like the world wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute. yes see is that mind-blowing wait a minute okay um yeah because i definitely have studied and have have been in under the understanding that agape was a word that was created within the texts of paul and so exactly. he so, used it the way that he used it applied to a God. That's the thing that actually, when I went and studied this and using chat GPT to find out where it was originally done, it's an ancient Greek pre even pre koine word that for hundreds of years was used of people towards the way that they feel and worship their God. That was considered that person agape. So, what God. kind of writings were that was it found in? Do you do you remember? Oh, uh, philosophical philosophy of um uh of the of the great writers that you think of um, that used ancient Greek, um, Aristotle, um, and and of that ilk, and many many other writings. So that historian historians in the classic Greek, even pre Koine, before it was tweaked and refined into an administrative language by uh, which is what we end up with in the in the koine of the which means common greek which was basically created by alexander the great um, he took the classic greek and then added all these dimensions to it through it, the spelling in order to make it a pure perfect administrative language but agape precedes even that and it huh. in the, in, the, in its earliest writings, and so the people of that day, how when that have, was used, that we, they would have been referring back to classic Greek. Oh, classic Greek writings. That's when that's the way people felt towards their God, towards a divine being, and that's what that's what's so mind blowing is God considers you. See, He's outside of time. 
You were created in his exact express image and likeness. You are a child of the creator God. So as one, you are after his own kind. You are his child. You are going to grow up into being that which you, by divine right, and because you are the seed of God, which is what the seed was, that's what, you know, children were called, a seed that keeps saying in the Old Testament grows up after its own kind. And even further, it's why I was explaining to somebody the other day, what's pow so powerful is when you look at all the things that it says God calls an abomination, it's actually because then in the New Testament, the only other time that word shows up is when it keeps saying, and nothing that is an abomination shall be in, the, in God's presence. Well, and yet we know that all of humanity, God is redeemed and restored to a position of now you can come to me without your limitations. You, uh, you were afraid to come to me by your beliefs that you were unloving. Jesus came to say, look, if you're, now that you're seeing me, you're seeing the reaction of the father. God does not look down on the the less than the unbeautiful, the 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 ugly, the the pained, the broken. Um, a, a bruised reed, he will not um, he will not throw away. A smoldering uh, flame, he will not extinguish and and get a fresh one. Um, he he rekindles the smoking the smoldering flame. He stands up, the bruised reed, the bent, it just is a piece of, a blade of grass that's bent over. That's what a bruised reed actually means. He stands it up and puts and puts protection around it to hold it up so that it will become what it was intended to become, which is divinity. We are the children okay, of God. Wait. Hold on, hold on. Okay, because I, ah. my brain, my brain is still back on undoing what I've studied and learned by lecture in seminary <laughs> over around, around uh, the word agape and, right. you know, Eros and Filio and whatever else. Yeah. So, so it's like, those were pretty common to use, but then like the agape word, it made it sound like it was just sort of planted right there in that text. And I'm, I'm just, I'm having trouble going back <laughs> from that and it, and it being a, a per, a, an, in, a, a human expression because I, it has been so long implanted in me that this is a, this is only a God kind of love. This is like, God is the only one that agape is anybody, you know, is the right. kind of, sense He's that the only god that that agapes humans that's but okay <laughs> see it's again it's in the comparative religions when you look at the stories in the old testament no but, but see but, the, but it takes a little because all the other texts for instance the flood why did all the other texts what did they all say what did the thing of gilgamesh what of the sumerian text about the flood that he wiped out the people. It's because the gods were so fed up with listening to the said that the people they won't shut up. They're constantly asking us. They they just want us. They want food. They want water. Oh, there's so many of them. Now we regret that we made them. Let's wipe them all out. But their reasoning was because they couldn't stand them. And what does God say up to Moses? Why does he not get to enter into the promised land and see that which has been the promise from for all the way for Abraham for hundreds of years. And now here he gets to lead the people out, but he doesn't get to bring them in. Why? And everybody says, well, because he struck the rock a second time. That's not what the text says. The text says, here's why God didn't let Moses in. He wasn't going to, as much as he covered over Moses's shameful deeds that he did, as God always does to his betrayers. That's in my book. Again, it's a book I'm working on called The Betrayers. You see this theme. Every time somebody betrays God, the bigger the betrayal, the more God actually glorifies them. Cain 
murders and betrays God by murdering. And don't get off on that. Don't get God. off on that. Keep going on that one thing you were doing. So Moses, in Moses, we see that he betrays God because he brings in the law that God never demanded. And, and there's multiple ways I can prove that. Um, oh, wait, 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 that wait. God didn't... wait. So you're saying that God in the text, it says be, be, because I, I don't, I don't, remember what the phrase is when why didn't moses get to go in i don't remember what the phrase is you did not betray me correctly to the people you made them think that i despise helping them i see i see i see that's I see. why moses... okay see it's it's giving he didn't what jesus properly... said that everyone who came to him was a thief and a liar he they, didn't every, properly all, hold on hold on that god begrudges loving you he you you said you didn't proper i heard you say i heard you say you didn't properly betray me to the people but you said portray 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 you did not properly portray me to the people you made them think i begrudgingly gave them water is specifically what it said but if you think about what that means it's just like when jesus comes how does he give the water of life he gives a message of the father that is so contradictory to the m message that Moses, the people would have had under Moses, because here, every see that God, Moses goes up and he comes down, he sees the people dancing and he suddenly says, oh, I broke the commandments. You'd have seen it. God did it. God wrote them. But oh, gosh, if you'd have only seen um, that you're already breaking what God's. And then he says, let me go up and get some more. And he goes up and God goes, yeah, well, I wrote the first one. You'll have to write the second one. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. Isn't that convenient? That the one who writes the book tells us that God wrote them. And then he says, but before I had it with his own finger, before we ever get a chance to see these laser cut stones, Moses is so upset that he breaks them and has to go ask for another set. And God's like, yeah, my finger's tired. My legs are tired. You'll have to do it yourself this time. Isn't that convenient? But um, so, and okay. again, that's not the only place. That's only one way that I have of seeing that Moses betrayed. Paul says it this way. He says, the law came in through the side. In other words, it was not a direct agent of, and a will of God. So I got, and sometimes Jesus even didn't even call it. It was commonly called God's law, but that's because that's how it was told to everybody. And God backed Moses up. This is God's law. And God's like, well, you make the rules. Okay, I'll be that God. Right. But you betrayed him. And again, another thing, Paul says, guys, don't you remember that it's not about the two women, Sarah and, and, and Hagar. That's about the two covenants. And what was the thing about um, Hagar? What was it? Why was she to be cast out? You can't keep her in your midst. It's Well, it's not about these two women. It's about the covenants. That one was done when Moses, in his own strength, tried to bring forth the promised seed in his own way. And that's part of when we do that is the law. We have the law going, look, I can be like God without God. Just give us the rules and watch how we'll, we'll shine. So Moses says, okay, here they are. Here's these, these commandments. And then the people couldn't keep them. Why? Yeah. Because, of course, they don't have love for their brother the way God loves us in their okay, hearts. That's a great segue right there, because I really want to get back to Agape, because this is just one thing. This is just one thing that is it's completely reverse, inverse of what I... I mean, I will by next time. I will actually bring forth some actual writings showing the historical documentation. Well, it's fine. Um, no, I mean, let's just it's so extraordinary claims require extraordinary proofs, and it's part of what I'm putting in a book about oh, agape. I don't necessarily. I'm not um, necessarily. I'm not resisting it right now. I'm trying to reimagine where I think it makes logic <laughs> it makes logic to if we say God agapes us 
when, <laughs> when we understand that if, that if it means that it's it, a way someone worships a god, that's mind blowing, right? Right. That, I mean, that's what I'm stuck on. I mean, I can't even get anything else you're saying <laughs> because I, I'm like, I mean, do I have I, not seen, here is not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what we will become. But we now have the spirit who will confirm to us all that I have told you, that as I am one with the father, so are you one with the father. Well, I'm sorry, but that's what it's saying. God agapes us. Well, it's, it's not that I can't. OK, <laughs> it's not that I can't understand. Oh no! We know that that I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I know it's so hard because it's like wait, wait, wait. No, no this is. Like, I'm not even saying that because we have all of these demonstrations of Jesus serving the human in front of it. I mean, we have exactly. we have story after parable after story after accounting. I mean, so so many years after Jesus actually was was gone, you know these these writers are still writing about the the the, the Jesus serving humanity i mean if it's not with with loaves and fish it's with cleaning feet it's with uh administering healing it's with touching the leper i mean we see the service because the people think of service as something beneath and and it and it is but it's only because i mean it's this coin turn like ser servant leadership it's like you have to have enough resource in yourself emotionally right. psychologically and monetarily to actually serve um someone well i mean if, right. it's, if it's not monetary i mean for example of who we think of as serving uh well people that come to our table if we go to McDonald's and someone comes to us and and ser serves us our Big Mac, okay, thank you. They, they don't necessarily have the monetary means. They didn't buy that for us, but they served it to us. And right. so they had the emotional capacity, the emotional avail availability to be there, whether they wanted to be there or not. <laughs> but now I'm going down a way different trail. But um, to serve, we see it. So it's not that I can't understand that Jesus, that we see God in Jesus reconciling the world. I think I understand that, but I, I get it in Jesus. I don't get it with the Father. I, 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 I it's not so weird. Jesus said, "If you see me, you are seeing the Father." <laughs> That's just so weird that, that I was thinking like, okay, Jesus in his humanity was being a really nice guy. Okay, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is super sweet. Yay. But the father, we have to come to the father. You know, we have to come and bow down and bring our gifts and, and hope that by the name of Jesus, we can enter into this holy we place. We have to buy him. And Jesus, we've made Jesus the guilt offering, the sin offering, the very thing that God from the beginning warned Cain. Hey, the sin offerings crouching at your door. You have to master it. You've got to get control over that and not believe that I can be bought, that you you have to serve me in order to get me to serve you. It's the other way around, sweetie. That's what the that's what God was telling Cain. And we don't want we just can't believe that. And it's it's I mean Cain couldn't. He just couldn't receive it. And that's why it said in the fullness of time, he brought that which he worked and said, here, I'm going to buy your love. Look how good I am. But what Abel, when in Hebrews, when Paul's explaining what why Abel's sacrifice is a righteous sacrifice is because it says he brought him the fat of the land. And again, so everybody has thought that means the fat of his sheep because he was a shepherd. But that term fat doesn't mean that he cut the sheep open and killed them and brought the fat of it, it's the same thing that says the land will be flowing with milk and honey, a land fat and rich. It is, it's milk is got, is filled with fat. It just means it's so excessive. This doesn't skim milk. This is rich and full. It's a metaphor. And so when he brought him the fat of the land, that to me, that means he, he took and he, he cut some of the wool off of the sheep and brought that. 
and said, look, I've got such a bounty. The land is so wonderful. These sheep are just eating grass. I don't do anything but just sit with them. And they just keep growing this stuff. And look here. And it's this, it's this excess. It's like, and it's all in a response that he recognized. God, you've done this for us. That's what he saw. He had an insight that my giving is as a, in a response to what's already been begun by God. He Whereas got what the, John well, here in his I always have, I, I always have a, a real heart for Cain in this story because I think and have just imagined it and read about it and read different different takes on it that i mean in the in in the in the time of oral tradition and passing stories down orally and them being around the fire and at the home and at the hearth and and talking about things and perhaps eve is sharing with her firstborn son that you know god promised us that a son that would bruise the serpent and and, and crush the serpent and the serpent would bruise his heel and you my son you know i mean she's looking at, you know god speaks speaks a promise and Eve thinks it's like right now, you know, this is my firstborn son. This is the one. Right. And it, that promise, you know, I, I mean, I can imagine that he, as mommy's baby boy, wanted to be the one that redeemed their state, their family status. And and I, I just have a heart for Cain because I feel that way a lot of I have this thing. I can do this thing. I can offer this thing. Whereas maybe the younger brother was somewhat more not aware, you know, he wasn't receiving that same language, was receiving that same like uh, responsibility. And perhaps that, you know, he was able to be more free in his offering because he did he wasn't the firstborn. And, you know, mom didn't tell me that it was the firstborn. Talk to Cain about this, that this is the eldest. I mean, again, that even already. Um, well, again depending on how all that was written. Yeah, I know, but I mean, but do you see where I'm coming from? Is the one everybody always looks to as the one, this is the one, yeah. he's the firstborn, he gets the biggest sure. blessing. And so he gets the best words. You're going to be the redeemer of all. You're going to be the one who sets things aright. You're going to restore us to the paradise. So he brings his offering with that, with that kind of frame of mind of like, will this work? Will this appease you? Does this satisfy you? Is this enough? And so I've always felt that it was less about the content of their offering between Abel and Cain, but it was more about the heart and the the perspective of I, I'm to your to your language earlier. Am I purchasing God's favor, or am right. I responding to God's favor? Woo, that is good. Am I That's purchasing exactly God's favor, or am I responding to God's favor? And that's the attitude of the heart. That's what faith is. And according to Paul in the New Testament, see, it's not to bring God down because he already came down. It's all the response to what is already finished. That that's what true. our faith is. And that includes the way that we look at each other. That's the thing. We need to, we, we, we first, Paul said, you have to first, the first baby step before you can even, no one's expecting to love everybody around you with the love of God. If you can't, if you haven't received it yourself, you haven't seen that you are adored. You're worshiped by the father. He loves you. You're his child. You're the apple of his eye. Everything that was said to the righteous man in the old Testament, to the righteous one, tell him this to the righteous one. He gets these blessings to the righteous one. And then we find out, you know, Paul says, and Jesus said, this is all about me. So Jesus is the righteous one. But in a covenant, that's the beautiful thing. Paul says, but here, remember the covenant. Remember the covenant, both in his writings and in Hebrews specifically. He really lays it out because the Hebrews already understood their their why they did their covenants, why they did their offerings. It was a transfer. The beauty, the innocence of the lamb becomes your innocence. So you become the righteous one. And it's and then he said, and ultimately, 
And that, and again, that's why then uh, the prophet John, his cousin, says, "Behold, there it is, the Lamb, the one that all the lambs we've been doing, we knew were just a type and a shadow. They're just a placeholder, keeping us ever reminded of God's promise all the way to the garden that there would come the Lamb, the seed, who would take away." all the blindness of the world and there he is i'm introducing him and so then he comes he does the work and when that happens it's a transfer all our sins are nailed to the cross all his righteousness is given to us now we've been made perfectly in 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 our um covenant and as you and i were talking about just before we got on the closest thing to unrighteousness that we have in the English language, and it's a far cry from what it actually is, but it's the closest thing, is the word to have breached a contract. You make a contract with somebody, and then you fail to keep your part. Here's uh, things I say I'm going to do. Here's the things you say you're going to do. If I don't keep my part, I breach the contract. Well, in, in a covenant, that would be known as being unrighteous. You are no longer, you have broken the covenant, and the only thing awaiting you now is death. Because that's why what they would do when they make the covenant. They take an animal, they cut it in half, they walk amongst the pieces, and they say, may this happen to me. I give my entire life and the life of my family and all of my goods today to say, I will only support you for the rest of your life. You, your wife, your children, and all of your, all your children's children for all perpetuity. We are now one family. And if I should ever break this, and if you come to me and say, I have a need that you can meet and I can't, and you do not give me what I need, you will have broken this covenant. And then this is what will be the result. And they were making they would say this, they'd walk between the pieces and they would say, I swear to all those witnessing this today and to heaven itself, that should I ever break this covenant, this is what I'm saying, do to me. It's literally to call of the universe to say, kill me if I don't keep this. And that state of breaking it and not doing for the other what you swore in this ceremony you would do is is a status called unrighteous but to keep the covenant and never anytime your covenant partner comes and says i have a need will you help me absolutely that is to be said to be righteous and so jesus was righteous because he wasn't unrighteous like moses was moses was unrighteous because he didn't tell the people he said i'll be your voice god and then he didn't. God would say, I love the people. Go and, go and give them water. And he'd go, you scoundrels. Why are you doing this? Let me strike this rock. You just make me sick. And see, he was speaking for God. And that's when God said, you made the people think I begrudged giving them water. Mm-hmm. You know that that's not what I said. That is not my attitude. I'm always here no matter what they do. I'm going to feed them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to cover them. I'm going to protect them. I'm their shield. I'm their buckler. I'm their their shade in the day. I'm their cool in the night. I will bring in food if they want it. I will give them anything they need. And you did. You broke the covenant. You did. Well, Jesus didn't break the covenant. He always showed what the father was doing. He always only said what the father was. So he kept covenant. And that's why it says, and because he kept covenant, he was then given a name that was higher than any name that had ever been given, that of the king of both the earth as the first Adam, and now even the invisible realm of heaven. And then Jesus turns right around and says, and I'm in covenant. This covenant is for you. And that, that, that term peace in the Old Testament to be in a, in a righteous state in a covenant was known as peace. That's so awesome. And so Jesus says, now my peace that I have because I kept the covenant. I showed with the the world what the father was like. Now I'm bequeathing that 
to you. So that means he gives us his righteousness. Paul kept saying, he's taken our filthy rags, and now you need to pick up the robe that Jesus laid down for you and said, here, we're because when you made a covenant, that's the first thing you did. The two men came, and they took off their coats, and they exchanged them with one another. Because your coat was represented to the world, they recognized, oh, that's the shepherd king that owns a million flocks. That's his robe. And the other one, oh, that's the guy who is a cave builder. He builds caves for sheep, you know. And so you recognize him from a distance. And so those two are like, hey, it only makes sense. We should join this one. That way, I will always, my family will dig caves and there'll always be these sheep that you guys are popping out left and right. And you'll always have a political sheep. That's one of the things like what a covenant, two covenant partners equals these two wealthy men come together. Well, here's the weird thing. God says, and, and again, then they would keep covenant. But God said, so that there was no weak link in the covenant, God didn't bring in a man. He made covenant with himself. And, 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 and nobody ever asks, where is that? That's in the covenant that Abraham was made a beneficiary of. Abraham mm-hmm. didn't covenant with God. Yeah. He didn't walk through the pieces. Well, it said it a smoldering pot and a flame walked through. Those are the two. By two immutable forces, the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the flaming, the flaming um, uh, blazing torch because he's the light of the world. He's the one that brings us the light and, and illumination of who the Father is. And the smoldering pot is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Who in the temple, that was the, the spirit went through. And it's, it's the beautiful fragrance of God was everywhere, saturating everything, anointing everything. Literally, by as they moved this incense and swayed it back and forth with the beautiful incenses that, was, that they would craft and put in there, which is all, again, a type and shadow. Each of those elements, I can go through them. And uh, Onicha and frankincense and all these beautiful myrrh and these these things that you were to you were to take, and they all have things in common that all speak to Jesus. But it speaks to the beauty of the surf that Jesus was giving us the fragrance of the Father. And so, by two immutable, so that there was no weak link. It's See, so, so God beautiful. made covenant with Himself. So it's then they broken. <laughs> I and think he did that, it. Uh, beneficiaries. You know, I think that so often in like some of the more modern um, Western conservative fundamentalist religious circles, they wouldn't even call themselves religious. They would call themselves. I'm not religious. I have a relationship with Jesus or something, something like that. I want to give them the right kind of terminology. And I think they would think that they made a covenant with God when they said the phrase from Romans 10, 9 and 10, you know, that they confessed, confessed with their mouth and believed with their heart that Jesus is the son of God and therefore they are saved. It sounds like a nice little neat equation that I don't want to get into here, but that like today, but we have been, been sort of convinced that we have, when we made this at such and such a date, at such and such a time, in such and such a place, we came into covenant with God, or, or maybe we wouldn't even say it that way, or I accepted Jesus into my heart, or I uh, recommitted my life to God, or I rededicated my life to the Lord, whatever the, the terminologies are, I think it's interesting to note that it's at that point that we start counting. It's at that point that we start counting our sins or counting our good works and we start, um, it's really when the guilt starts coming in, you know, especially right. really entrenched in that kind of um, world that is constantly preaching uh, good works and morality and behavior modification and so forth. Um, when really the, the covenant that was made on our behalf that we are the beneficiaries of is is eternal. It's it's eternal. We have some documentation and story form that that is you know at such and such a time, and it, we we can read about it. We have text for it, but the reality is, is that these things have happened in the eternal realm on our behalf. And the the I, I just I it, it's it it really <laughs> it just is so good. Um, I, I want to try to 
try to wrap up for today, but I, I just really don't, I, I don't think that we got enough into what it means for God to agape us because in light of, in light of, uh, in light of it being a human word that was used for a worshiper to come to God. And it was the way that a, a, a devout worshiper wanted to, to pay it, you know, homage to, to this right. God. Express their thankfulness. It, their, their, th love. their love and devotion and, and all the, you know, their commitment to that God was, was called agape. And now you're saying though, that's, <laughs> that's how God loves us. Um, that's a big one that, that is just such a, you know, and it's been there all along. And that's what I love about these conversations is it's been there all along and we talk about it and we have thought about it. And on Monday, Thursday, we really talk about it. And on, and throughout the gospels, we see it, but to think that the father is that way to us is a little much. I mean, we don't want, we, we, it's hard to receive love. It's, it's hard. I think it's hard to receive even, um, love we didn't work for love. We did not earn. It's difficult for the human being to accept the gift that they didn't know was coming or in some way have earned it in some way earned the gift, you know, maybe a gift, but certainly like love and pure acceptance, love and pure acceptance and belonging favor, even, um, to, to really establish and situate, to, to promote a person that hasn't, <laughs> this is like, it's, it's a weird, <laughs> it's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling. And I don't know, it's just, it's so good. Um, I think we're going to be done for today. It's been a long one. I think it's long. I don't know. I, do, I, I should start the, I should at least look at the clock before I start. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, um, more on righteousness and all the things. It always it always is a fun trip getting to righteousness. Let's see how many more of these we can do on righteousness that involve a ton of really cool things on the way um, to it. And today was agape that really I don't I feel like I'm in the same boat as Kelly. I'm like, what? Oh, wait. Right. But I don't think about it like that all the time. So thank you for the reminder and for your beautiful words today and for this amazing, amazing time. So may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus until we meet again. God bless you.